0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, you are kind not only to make us and to save us, but to continue to work to save us in an ongoing sense, to save us from our wandering and from our faults and from our errors and from our troubles. And to save us, you speak to us and teach us and by your Spirit then press into us truth that changes us within, moving us to follow you and to walk in newness of life. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you. So we ask you then, knowing that's who you are, that's how you are towards us, we ask you, will you do that more again right now? Please. Speak and teach, and by your Spirit, press into us what is true, even if it's a little uncomfortable. Press into us what is true and change us within and move us to walk as you have laid out a path, a path for flourishing in life. Help us, Lord, please. The, the stuff that's before us this morning is hard. It can be hard. But help us, Lord, to see you behind it as good and sweet. Grow us and change us and build your church and honor your name. We trust this all to you and say thank you. Amen. A number of years ago, a guy I knew from somewhere else told me about a family interaction he'd been a part of. His sister, newly married, and her new husband had invited her family, including him, over for dinner. And after dinner, most all of them are sitting in the living room while sister is off in the kitchen. And conversation turned to dessert. And as I understand it, the new son-in-law in in front of everybody, and think about this carefully, how you react to this. new son-in-law calls out to the kitchen, Woman, fetch me some pie. How do you think that went over? Can you imagine it? I wasn't there of course, but went over something like this. We all glance on my dad sitting there next to the new son-in-law as my father's hand gripping the chair goes white and the big vein on the side of his neck pops out. What did you just say? To my daughter? That's about how it went. Something like that, you can imagine. Now, why would I tell that story right here? Or for that matter, why do I almost always share that story in premarital counseling? And I do, and I embellish it a little bit, I add on, I, I expand it. Because... In premarital counseling, as well as in our passage this morning in Colossians 3, we're going to encounter something and meet a verse that tells wives to submit to their husbands. Teaching that is easily misunderstood unless you come to it in the right context. That that story raises two things. In, In the two statements, it raises two things. First, it raises what is our concern, is it not? That if if we look at something that says, wives, submit to your husbands, what we're going to end up with is woman, we're going to end up with wife as property, ordered around like a house pet. And we we fear that. And that's what we we hear, what we think, what what we are concerned about when we see something about submission, easily misunderstood, unless you come to it in the context of the biblical truth alluded to in the other statement in that, that when God sees his beloved daughters mistreated, the big vein on the side of his neck pops out, so to speak. He's not remotely indifferent to that, let alone amused by it. So before we even read this passage, we need to be clear that if we think about or or hear submission, which is a thoroughly biblical truth as we'll see and as we'll talk about if we think about it or teach it or practice it or try to enforce it in some way that mistreats any woman and particularly this morning we're here in the church so we're, we're talking about Christian marriage and so I mean Christian women especially here who are daughters of God by his choosing by, by God's adoption so I expect that there are some here this morning who you you're not a Christian. And so I want you to know,'m I'm, I'm talking about you because marriage is is human. it's it's a universal thing, not just a Christian thing. But in particular, I'm focused on Christian marriage and on Christian wives and Christian husbands, and, and how it is that God enables us to live out a marriage that, that thrives. So this is this is for all of us, but I'm particularly emphasizing Christian, marriage, and Christian women, daughters of God. And if we think of submission in any way that leads to the mistreating of Christian wives, we've missed it. And we're risking the anger of God and certainly missing his blessing. God, we want to see that sort of submission addressed for change, submission that that hurts. We here in this church would also want to see that addressed for change. So if as I'm speaking this morning something that I say kind of triggers something in you or if it makes you realize something that's going on that that should change or maybe if it just makes you wonder if maybe something that's going on should maybe change. Let me encourage you and invite you to please bring that to life, to light. Let me encourage and invite you to talk to one of our trained and careful counselors here in the church, Pastor Jed, myself, as well as maybe you know some of these women, Debbie Myler and Mandy Begg, Christina Warner, Beth Salter. I'm I'm sure there would be others, but those in particular have been through various levels of training and would listen to you carefully and well and would be helpful in whatever way is necessary. Let me encourage you and invite you, please bring it to light. Come talk to somebody. We do not understand this word, submission, which we're going to talk about here, or the Bible's teaching on marriage in general, to cover over for the mistreatment of God's daughters. So we're not going to do that. Nor, on the other hand, are we going to throw it out, throw these verses out as if they are relics from some older, less enlightened time. That's not true. God is the most enlightened being there is. God made us, male and female, he created us. And he knows who we are and how he made us. And then he created marriage. And the creator of people and the creator of marriage knows what he made and and what he means to put these things together as and how for our flourishing. He best understands that. Idea. The idea was his idea. Marriage is his idea. Marriage is not the end-all be-all of life but, it, but it's good when you're in it and it's good to understand how it works. It's a unique model of how Christ relates to his church. Like a husband and a wife relate. How they respond to one another. And that's going to be our, our, our focus this morning in these couple of verses in Colossians 3. How one relates to the other. So we am going to be talking about responses. Not exactly roles per se. Not not the whole job that each person fulfills, but how one responds to the other. Role would be a slightly bigger discussion. This is, this is focused here. Just a couple of short verses. And so, obviously, I am well aware that I am not going to say everything there is to say about marriage this morning. And if, and if you're kind of following along and you're listening, you're saying, but what about, I probably didn't talk about it, I probably skipped it. Because marriage is a big topic. We're focused here on just a couple of verses, particularly emphasizing the response of of one to the other. So I'm going to read the passage beginning in Colossians 3, verse 17, which is the transition verse that leads into this whole next section about households. We're called to do everything in the name of the Lord, and that includes be married in the name of the Lord. So let me read these three verses, and then I'll draw two observations. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's all. Short. Make two observations. Here's the first. Wives should submit to their husbands in a Christ-centered way. Wives should submit to their husbands in a Christ-centered way. We begin with wives because Paul begins with wives, and that itself right away is remarkable. Various teaching back in that day, philosophers, teachers, instruction, even the word of the law, addressed households that contained the relationships that we see here in this passage, married couple, kids, laborers, they addressed households often, but they always and only spoke to the men as the lords of the house, the only one worth addressing. But the first clue that Paul, that God doesn't think like that, is that he starts with wives. He addresses them and addresses them first in the place of honor. And the second clue that God doesn't think about the man as the Lord of the house is that if you look at this section, verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 1, the section about households, there's a very concentrated usage of the word Lord. Ten times it's in these verses. Sometimes describing people, but the emphasis all through is clearly on verse 17 at the beginning and verse, chapter 4, verse 1 at the end. The emphasis clearly is on the Lord Jesus the Lord who is in heaven. All the authority in the house, and there is authority in the house, but it's all relativized beneath him. Like a shift manager has got some authority beneath the store manager. There's only one boss in the house, only one Lord, and all of us are beneath him. And he then will put order to our relationships by addressing his daughters first. Wives, I want you to submit to your husbands, not to all the husbands, not to all men, just your own. Submit to him. Which means what? Well, the word itself is pretty simple and clear. It's used often... In a variety of contexts and and always wherever you find it, it always has the basic idea of someone or something recognizes an established authority structure and then that someone or something fits itself or herself or himself into the right spot in the authority structure beneath the one that is in charge. Like we all do with a supervisor at work. Or with a teacher in a classroom. We recognize the authority structure and we put ourselves where we belong in relation to that authority structure. So the word itself basically means what we thought it meant. Not complicated. Realize that you rank beneath your husband in assigned authority. And note, only beneath him in assigned authority. That has nothing to do with value or worth or importance or dignity. The clearest and easiest proof of this is the Bible will talk about how God the Son is in submission to God the Father. But God the Father and God the Son are of equal value and equal worth, both fully, completely God, both fully and completely worthy of worship, just One has an assigned different rank in the authority structure in relation to the creation. And we read in the New Testament then about how Jesus does everything his Father tells him to do. Submitted in assigned authority, but not in value or worth or dignity. So realize, wife, you rank beneath your husband in assigned authority. Nothing more. Assigned by God and you have to follow him. But why? It's a question that that easily rises up. Why is that? I can read it, but I wonder. Well, it doesn't say. So first, we just know it doesn't say why. But if we think a little more broadly about it, it's a a question worth answering. The simplest answer, certainly there would be other things to say, but the simplest answer is that for humanity human culture always structure is necessary for thriving structure and then leadership of that structure is an important concept concept and component of all culture and all society leadership with its related elements of initiative responsibility and accountability is critical to make Entities, teams, organizations work and excel. And where you have leadership, submission to that leadership is necessary to enable the leader to lead. So, God, who made us, knows this. And God, who made us, made us in our very gender DNA, if you will. He he made us different. And he assigned to us broad gender differences, broad basic roles, different one from the other, not inferior, just different ways that we fit together. It is not to say one is more important than the other. We get this wrong a lot because in our our societies, oftentimes, we say leaders are more important. Leaders get paid more. Leaders get more esteem because they're more valuable, right? Not in God's economy. Just different. Not better. So he assigned us different roles and made us differently. And he says to to the wife, I've assigned you to follow him. So don't marry somebody you can't follow. Because once once you get married, this this is the call. Follow him. To work with the grain of of how God made us and how God makes us together. To work with the grain of how the God of good grace who loves his daughters and does not mean anything (laughs) ill for them and we made us. Calls us then to work together in this way, wives, I've designed you for proper flourishing in this household and then in the world to as a team of two for the wife to submit in authority to her husband. Which of course we have to immediately qualify. Immediately. Immediately. And properly. And God does so. We've seen it already in, in the larger context, but if we keep reading, it pops up again explicitly. Submit your, to your husband as is fitting in the Lord, in a way that fits the Lord, in a manner that's appropriate with the Lord. And who's the Lord? Not the husband. the one he just mentioned right before in verse 17. That one's the Lord. Whatever you do, wife, you can read it like this. Whatever you do, wife, if you submit in word or if you submit in deed, submit in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when you recognize the relative authority, the assigned authority structure, you recognize that, and then you respond to it by in some way respecting or in some way deferring or in some way obeying or in some way following or some way or another, whatever it is that you do, make sure that what you're about to say, what you're about to do, or how you're feeling, or how you're about to respond, fits with Jesus. And what Jesus would allow. What Jesus would instruct. What Jesus would would say, and, and why he would say it. Which of course means, naturally, that you don't go along with any sin. You don't sin yourself. You don't sin if the husband is trying to lead you into it or move you into it. You don't go along with clear sin that the husband is committing. You don't enable the husband's clear sin against other people or against yourself. In fact, submission may even include the confronting of sin. Follow this. This seems seems weird. When you, when you confront sin or when you, when you bring up a question about something that may seem sinful, what you're actually doing is saying, I recognize that you're in an authority and I want you to fill that role well, but I wonder, are you right now? Not saying, I'm done with you, or not saying, I'm going to take charge, but saying, in fact, I wonder if you're doing what God would have you to do. Is this, is this, is this right? Because I want you to move into the right role, and I doubt that right now, so I bring it up for your good. Even bring it to others to do him good. That's an attitude of fitting submission. So, so clearly, to, to submit in a way that matches Jesus is going to steer us away from clear sin, but most of the time, I think probably most of the time, the difficulty isn't really one of trying to figure out how to respond to clear, big sin. Most of the time, the difficulty is probably trying to figure out how to submit to or respond to or defer to some decent, ordinary husband who is a guy, right? Which means decent and ordinary. He is sinful and errant and foolish at least as often as he is righteous and wise and caring. That's probably true for all of us. And that's probably the the most common challenge. Following a human is hard. Living constantly saying, I would have done this. I would have decided that. I see it like this, and I would have gone that way. I would have preferred something a little different. I think the the attitude of the tone is a little off. The the goals are a little unclear. I'm not really sure, but I'm uneasy here. I'm a little concerned about this. I'm worried here. But I'll defer to his timing. I'll defer to his leading. I'll defer to his initiative. I'll defer to his decision. That's hard. How, how do you do that? Well, in, in some ways I think, for me, I'm, I'm helped if I move to a different authority situation and I, and I see something like in a workplace, perhaps. If you've got a boss, who you, you kind of say, I see it like this. I, I would have done it like this. I think there's something here, but he or she is going in a different direction that's still hard. You bring it up in some way that maybe you address it in some way that's, that's polite and gracious and respectful and then you kind of leave that there. I'm, I'm helped when I think about a workplace like that but not completely because I get to go home from work. When it's at home though, you don't get to go home from being home. Our biggest challenge, probably, if you're a wife hearing this command is how do I defer to, how do I respond submissively to somebody who I think is wrong? And I'm worried about the consequences of that wrong. I can see him coming. Evidently, he doesn't but I see it coming and there's something coming that's kind of fearful and I'm afraid of that. What do you do? Well, once you've done what you would do at work, raise some questions and, and try to, to expand the information that's on the table and to, to ask and, and push back a little bit. Once you've done that, what do you do? at this point right here if you have a physical bible in front of you you could look at verse 18 and say oh this is not a separate book in the bible all by itself this is right in the flow of colossians chapter 3 this is part of colossians this comes right after 17 which comes right after 16 and 15 and 14 and 13 Paul doesn't really think, now, now that I'm done talking about Jesus, now let's talk about marriage. No. What do you do when you face this, this kind of a command? Here's the law of God to you, daughter. And the challenge of it rushes at you as you see, this person to whom I am to submit is off. Off something's uncomfortable, something's threatening, something's not right here. What do you do with that? Here's the law of God that calls you to do something and the difficulty of the situation and right there in that moment, please see the flow of Colossians and set your mind on things above. Where Christ who is your life is seated, not this husband, Christ who is your life is seated. You see, if you put your hope in somehow or another in getting him to finally get it, that may never happen. If, if your hope is, is fastened finally and, and ultimately and hopefully to this one, getting it right and leading you into the, the proper place and delivering you into good, that may never happen. But there is still life available to you. This is the beauty of, of the way God is that God so cares for his daughters that he's not going to ultimately surrender them to his sons. He's going to hold you and call you, set your eyes on me. I'm your life. Look, come, be. You are seated with me in the heavenly realms <laughs> while standing in your kitchen talking to that knucklehead. And he is one. He is one. Sometimes he's worse than that, but he's at least that always. <laughs> he is. He is. I am. But God, your Father, never means for you to feel this law hit you and then to say, I better move that directly over to my own self-will. Suck it up and submit. Thank God he doesn't. Thank God he says, "Here's, here's my law to you. And how I will move you to follow my decree, how I will draw near to you, what I will push to you so as to change you within, so that you will not fear that which is fearful. And I'm alluding to 1 Peter 3, if you got that. How you will not fear that which is fearful is that I will draw you to hope in me. That's what Peter says, that's what Paul says, that's what God says. Christ centered submission to the true Lord of the house. That's your hope. Do you see him there? Do you see him bigger than you see the husband? Do you hear him there? Do you hear him bigger than you hear the husband? You're simultaneously standing here on earth in your kitchen and in heaven. With Christ. And Christ is simultaneously seated in heaven, reigning and seated at your kitchen table in you, the hope of glory. Do you see Him? The Lord that is, not your husband. I know you see your husband as the Lord bigger. In Him, then, drinking in life from Him. Drinking in life, sustaining life from him. That's what enables a Christian, always and everything. This is just a part of the Christian life, always and everything, to lay down his or her life for another. I'm getting it from somewhere else. I set my mind on things above and what God pushes into me is updating truth about Him and who I am in Him and what He's bringing to me and that there's my life and as this comes, then I can give it away. That's, that's always that's always how the Bible works. That's how marriage works. And that's how we can come to not fear that which is fearful. That's Peter's language. It's beautiful because he acknowledges this is fearful. I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, how you not fear that which is fearful as you hope in me. Daughters, set your mind on your Father, on the true Lord of the house, who has you, who holds you, will not let you go. That does not mean, that does not mean you know, you don't bring up anything that's going on in your house. Maybe you have to, as I said earlier. Maybe you should bring up something with someone. I invite you to. But your heart must bank on God to be sustained. Find life in him. Live in a Christ-centered way as you submit to your husband. Second then, husbands should love their wives in a Christ-centered way. Husbands should love their wives in a Christ-centered way. Verse 19 reads, Husbands, make sure that your wife submits to you. Is that what it says in your Bible? I don't think it is. Tragically, though, oddly, some men in the church, broadly speaking, seem to think that's what verse 19 says. Not all men by any means, not even most, thankfully. I need to push on this a little bit because of the reality of a hidden evil within the church. There are some men in the church at large who hear everything that I just said about verse 18 and say, yes and amen. And the biggest need in my marriage in my house is for my wife to get that. To become submissive to me. And so I'm going to help make that happen. It's my job, after all, to lead the house. Make sure that she becomes the submissive wife she is commanded to be. As if that's in verse 19. But it isn't. It isn't. Now of course by broad extension all of us all of us are supposed to always be helping one another become whatever God calls us to be so sure but husbands watch out be sure to address the plank in your own eye before you talk about the splinter that's stuck in hers The first thing God says to you and frankly here the only thing God says to you is about you Love your wife Make her, that is, love your wife, make her the object of your concern, thinking about how to bring about good to her, how to bring about blessing to her, how to actually believe and then communicate to her that she is valuable, treasured, and cared for. We're not just talking about the emotion of love, though we shouldn't stop short of that. We're talking about love as a verb, as we sometimes say. Whatever you do, husband, in word or in deed, if you love your wife in word or you love your wife in deed, love her in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm a married man. My wife is present. (laughs) And I'm a hypocrite. Not actually. I'm a failure. But what I'm saying is, I know I don't meet this. None of us do. So I'm not telling you, do this like I do it. That would be hypocrisy. I'm saying, do this like God says we're supposed to do this. And we're all in this. We who are husbands, we're all in this together Reading this commandment and then proceeding, if we hear it, proceeding thinking, Lord, what would you have me to do or to say to bring about good blessing in this one's life? In all people's lives. I'm a Christian, so it's about everybody, but it's particularly about this one your wife, if you're married. That's what authority is for in the kingdom. Authority is given in the kingdom just like Jesus models it. Jesus uses authority for what purpose? To do good to his people, his beloved ones. To bless, to help them flourish as God intends, as the Lord intends. And that's what authority has been given to us for. Not to love one's own self, but to love her as a verb. Love, and do not be harsh with her. Or instead, as the word harsh is written there, if you have the New American Standard Version, you might see a little, maybe a more helpful translation, helps us understand what's being said there. The New American Standard says, do not be embittered. The word harsh or embittered, the word is really about something that tastes really sharp when used of drink or food, something that tastes bitter. Maybe you could talk about your stomach when you eat something that's bad and your stomach turns and it feels, so don't be like that bitter drink. Don't be like that turned stomach as you interact with your wife. If there's a bitterness inside of you, you will not love her, but will likely pour out harshness. In demeanor or in words, or whatever you do or say, you're supposed to do it in love, to love, not in harshness. So, love, don't be harsh. There it is. So, love her, just do that. Don't be harsh to her, just don't do that. Solved everything. Not that hard. There's the law of God laid out and explained. Now, husband, deliver that over to your self-will and your discipline and write down on a list the things that you should just do, the ways that you should just be concerned about her to bring her blessing. Do those things. Write them on your day timer. Get a a reminder on your phone that's going to say, Did you do this today? I should do this today. And don't do this. There. Got it. By this point in our study of Colossians, I really, really hope that you are not content with that approach. And that you hear the command, you hear the simple command, you hear a a simple explanation of the words in the command so that just in case we didn't have clarity in what those words were about, now we got it, that you hear the command, you hear the simple command, and, and you realize then, I hope, Actually, my main focus is not supposed to be on the command and on doing the command. That's not been the focus for paragraphs now. That you realize, okay, there's the command, and then you start looking around in the passage. You start looking around for what is there right around here somewhere because that's how God works. What is there right around here somewhere that he means to press into me, to update me with, to have my mind set on so that I'll be changed within and then different, walking into this married life differently. What is there here? So we we could say, well, see the last four sermons. You do that. But instead let's let's like walk it through to see what that might look like. So, here's an embittered husband. Not here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've been there. Here's an embittered husband towards his wife. Why? Well, bitterness comes from a long-term, unresolved hurt or disappointment or frustration. Unresolved. Every time, she doesn't want to go on the type of vacation he wants. Or doesn't want sex as much as he wants it. Or sometimes wants kids and sometimes doesn't, can't make up her mind or refuses to get a job because she doesn't like the pressure, but it's okay with him facing it. Doesn't wisely spend the money that she expects him to bring home, forgets to pay that bill or runs up these bills, stops going to the gym and it shows. Resists the purchase of his dream new gigantic TV and then nags him all day about fixing the sprinklers. Every time she does that. And are there some stereotypes in that? Of course. Of course. But tell me no husband's ever been embittered about that kind of stuff. Maybe that doesn't work for you. Put in something else for you. That, granted, there are stereotypes there. But every time she does that, or whatever it is for you, he strikes up in his mind a little frustration tally one more time. There it is again. One more time. She doesn't get it. One more time. She's not changing. One more. One more time. I didn't get life to go like I wanted it to go. My life is just not going like it's supposed to, like I'd hoped it would. One more time. She didn't do what I wanted her to do. One more time. Watch this one closely. One more time. She didn't submit to me, but instead resisted me. As his mind slips into that, bitterness takes hold, reinforced by a sense of self-righteousness. I'm supposed to be the leader of this family. I'm doing the right thing, and she's resisting me, not doing what I say, not doing what I want. In an anger and a despair, sometimes a harshness sets in. And the command, there it is right there, love, don't be harsh. It's just so much law, ping, bouncing off. addressed to his disappointed and angry and entitled bitter heart. There's the bitter husband. Now, let's try it it one more time. One more time, I didn't get it to go like I wanted it to go. My life isn't going like I hoped. One more time, she didn't do what I wanted to do. One more time. Here's the pivot this person to this person one more time that the enthroned reigning lord jesus upon whom my mind and the eyes of my mind are set the one from verse 15 from last week the one who reigns in the world and has made peace with the world The one who rules over everything and therefore I know is controlling all things that happen for my good. The one, from verse 16 last week, whose word, whose gospel of saving grace is dwelling in me richly, reminding me and reassuring me of his forgiving, caring, loving, attentive sufficiency for me. There's one more time that that Lord Jesus has wisely decided that my will should not be done. Do you get that? The big pivot there. I might have lost you with all the words. Do you get the big pivot there, though? Who really was the one not submissive to me? This woman or that Lord? The Lord. The creating, dying, rising, reigning, coming Lord. He decided it's not going that way for your son. And I love you too. I don't only love her, I love you too. And I've got you in my hands and I care about you deeply and passionately and widely and longly and highly and deeply and whatever. I care about you too. I love you too. I've got you too. And I've decided in my wisdom that it's not going that way for you right now. Whatever she's done last week is what I decided would happen for you, son, So, your issue really, son, is not with her, it's with me. Bitterness towards wife, unloving towards wife, is really not about wife. Husband, it's about you and the Lord of the house. And what you're bitter about is what he's decided should be. Deal with that with him. And when you deal with that with him, if you look to him, what you find from him is a God who is near and a God who is good and a God who cares for you and a God who loves you. And a God who is far more concerned about you, yourself, than he is about marriage because marriage is temporary and you will live forever. If she never existed, God's word to you would still be look to me and find life for me and give away your life to everyone else. Lay down your life and come follow me and you'll find life. That would still be his word to you if you were single. And his promise to you is just the same now as it was then. I am enough. And I'm working all things in life for your good. And I've decided that she's going to be helpful to you in this way. Now, she's going to be helpful to you in a lot of other ways that are sweet and good, but she's also helpful to you in this way. She's going to raise the issue for you of who's your Lord. Are you your Lord or am I? Gary Tom- I think it was Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas? Should have looked this up. Wrote a book called Sacred Marriage, a subtitle of which, what if marriage was designed... Not for your happiness, but for your holiness. That's a rhetorical question, because it was. And here in the middle of our bitterness and of our lovelessness, what we're finding is God at work to draw you to himself and make you holy, husband. So set your eyes on him, thankful for all things, He gives you himself. Be thankful for that and thankful for every opportunity that he brings your way that gives you another place and another time to find life in him and lay down your life for others just like him. He says to you, draw near to me and I will be enough for you and then you love her. And lay down your life for her. So that she and you and this household and the world at large may see something more of me. Because that's what marriage is about. The holiness of God's people. And the dependence of God's people on him. The finding of life from him to model to the world this is what it's like to be loved by Jesus. Jesus. me pray. Father, help us. There's far more that we could say about marriage, but help us with this much. To see this and to see you in this and to respond to one another in the ways that you've laid out for us, that we would find life and that you would be known and that the world would be blessed. Give us help, please, Lord. We trust this to you and say thank you. Amen.